Hello and welcome to the Rotman Thoughtcast presented by the Rotman Entertainment and Media Association. You're here with me, Rini Sharma and Joseph Smith. Our guest today is Professor Michael Ryle, who teaches strategic management here at the Rotman School. Mike's formal research is focused on business strategy, but his interests extend to philosophy and business ethics. My first introduction to Mike took place when I was taking his strategy class in the first year. I remember it being the busiest term, and Mike would essentially start his classes by reading us a little excerpt from Plato, something that really stuck around with me. And that's essentially what inspired the idea behind today's episode, where we have Joe, who's part of the Aristotle Reading Group with Michael, chat with him about philosophy and ethics in the context of everyday life. Thanks, Rini. You are indeed correct. I've been a part of the Aristotle Reading Group. Mike gives us a little bit of a masterclass here, and this conversation is very much worth listening to again and again. And with that in mind, I'll waste no further time. Here is my interview for the Rotman Thoughtcast with Mike Ryle. Return to Virtue. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me today. Could you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm uh, a professor of uh, strategy here at the Rotman School. Um, started my uh, business career in the 1980s. I got an MBA uh, right out of undergraduate school and worked in business for about 15 years or so. And eventually I realized that the happiest time uh, really in my life was in college. So I went back and got a PhD in economics, uh, specifically in game theory. And uh, my interest was in applying these ideas to strategy and uh, thinking about how to make some of the ideas and strategy that were floating around more precise. So most of my research is involved in um, sort of mathematical models that that have to do with understanding persistent performance differences between firms. I've been here at uh, Toronto for nine years now. It's just flown by. And, uh, you know, really love it. So I, I, uh, I worked at the University of Rochester for a while, worked at uh, Melbourne, uh, oh. University of Melbourne for a while. I actually have Australian citizenship. Uh, <laughs> wow. And, uh, Fun fact. <laughs> exactly. And, and I've been here for nine years. I mean, the time has just flown by, so it's been terrific. And where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? California. So oh, I'm right. Californian originally. I've lived all over the place, uh, rarely anywhere for more than two or three years. Okay. Uh, which you might interpret as having trouble holding down jobs or, you know, <laughs> insert your own interpretation. But, yeah, so this has been one of the longest periods that I've been somewhere. Okay. And uh, it's just gone by really quickly. Like I say, I look back and think, wow, nine years has just flown by. That's great. It's good to know that Toronto is worth staying for, to be Definitely, honest. <laughs> definitely. Um, but... So in addition to your academic interests, you have some other interests, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And one of those is philosophy. Mm -hmm. So could you just tell us when you first became interested in philosophy? So uh, relatively recently, I'd say about five years ago. So for an economist and particularly, you know, a theorist, uh, mainly involved in sort of applied mathematics, um, to me, philosophy always seemed like parlor games, a sort of, you know, what's the sound of one hand clapping or some silliness <laughs> yeah. like that. Uh, but um, but about five years ago, I came across a guy who I was explaining to him that, you know, my work is very interested in human learning in economic situations. Okay. So that's that's. You know, if you think about my game theory, um, that's that's one of my primary areas of interest. 
And uh, this guy said, well, you know, you need to read this Canadian philosopher, Bernard Lonergan, who wrote a lot about epistemology and the philosophy of learning and so forth, and handed me this giant, you know, 900-page philosophy <laughs> book called Insight. And uh, Easing you in uh, gently, that. <laughs> <laughs> man. So, I mean, first of all, philosophers don't write anything like anybody else uh, that I read as these, you know, paragraphs that are one sentence, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, it was full of, of really, I thought, um, deep, captivating, important ideas about how we learn as human beings, and, you know, in principle. And, and it really caused me to start thinking about my game theory in a different way. That led me to realize that in order to really not just sort of get it on a superficial level, I really need to do a deep dive into philosophy. And so I started reading a lot of philosophy. I took my sabbatical at the at a Jesuit seminary here in the University of Toronto. So I spent a year with uh, philosophers, and uh, and I've been you know spending a lot of time um, thinking about these ideas and trying to get proficient in in some areas of philosophy that I want to then uh, sort of build game theory around. So so that was sort of the, the initial interest. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, in a way, I've, I've, uh, I've got a new respect for philosophy and uh, spending a lot of time reading, reading it. It must have been a really impactful book, that first one you read, in order to spur the the thoughts of the connections between that and game theory and then also to go and take a sabbatical in order to pursue philosophy a little bit further yeah um, is that where it all sparked you think yeah i think so so you know if you think about it i don't know to, you know to what extent people in the audience uh have some inkling of how economists approach learning but it's mostly statistical learning so uh bayesian learning you know i do i see things i update my beliefs i have beliefs about things and then data comes in and the thing about uh lonergan is that he's talking about a totally different kind of learning right so he gives the example of let's say um you take a four-year-old and say you know uh, i'm going to ask you a question the question is what's the area of a circle and the answer is two pi r and so you can ask the child you know what is the area of a circle and the child will say two pi r The, the child has no grasp of either what the question means or what the answer means but at some time in the development of that child the penny will drop, and 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 the child will understand both what the question means and what the answer means, and that isn't because the child has been asked the question a thousand times and his beliefs have converged to one that the mean you know it's 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 not that kind of learning at all. It's right. something very different than that. And I realize that there's sort of probably this is this kind of learning accounts for ninety nine percent of the important things that we know. And so we need to pay more attention to that. And so that that was the for me the insight of insight was realizing that we're sort of you know some people have thought very carefully about about human learning in this way, and we need to uh, those of us in in the business of building mathematical models of things you know maybe should pay a little bit more attention to them. Interesting. Yeah. And we're gonna um, take a left turn here, but. Return to virtue. Mm-hmm. Could you explain what that phrase means to you? Mm-hmm. So this is um, an outgrowth of my interest in in uh, in philosophy. Led me to start thinking about something else that was always 
sort of a silly area of study, which was which is ethics, right? <laughs> and so, in reading, you know, some of the great philosophers, particularly Aristotle, um, and and people who would I think today classify themselves as neo Aristotelian philosophers, um, they they didn't you know. Aristotle wrote a book on ethics, but they weren't thinking about ethics the way we typically think about ethics today. Ethics was an implication of living the good life. Right. Right. So Aristotle was asking questions about, well, what does it mean to uh, live your life fully as a human being? That was the philosophical question. What does it mean to fully flourish and realize your full potential as a human being? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that are the things that we need to do uh, to, to, to sort of realize our full potential. And that's ethics. That's, that's how they think of ethics. It's an implication. Of, it's the answer to that question. It isn't just some set of rules that someone came off a mountain, you know, and said, <laughs> here are the, you know, the way that you need to behave. And so for me, realizing this and seeing how many unhappy people there are and seeing a generation of MBA students. So one of the things that I think is really true, so, you know, the millennials have gotten a lot of bad press, and and I think some of it well-deserved. But what is absolutely true, and I've been teaching for 20 years now, teaching MBAs for 20 years now, what's absolutely true is that um, this is a generation that sincerely cares about doing good, so there are people that will take lower-paying jobs, you know, if they can, quote, make a difference, mm. whatever that may mean. And so there's this uh, sincere interest in living a full life, in doing good. But I find not a lot of sort of deep thinking or understanding of what that might mean. And so it's an outgrowth of my interest in philosophy, um, I also and my teaching and being exposed to this generation, I became interested in, uh, in, in ethics. And so when I say return to virtue, to me, this is, uh, this is not an aspiration. It's a normative, you know, it's, a, it's an admonition that if you want to have a full life to be happy, to change the world in good ways as a manager and your vocation as a manager then virtue is central, and we need to understand what that means. We need to understand why that is, but, you know, return to virtue is sort of a command uh, more than a, than a, you know, let's think about old times. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's extremely valid, especially for living, like you say, a meaningful and flourishing life, which is what we're all aiming for at, right. some, at some level. But having a framework that can help us get there right. is really important. Right. I believe I totally agree with you there. And so what was the turning point in realizing that Aristotle can offer this framework and, and this, um, yeah, this structure that we can build our lives around? I think reading him carefully and reading some other philosophers carefully, beginning to, you, you know, when you, when you ask a question or when a philosopher asks a question like, you know, what does it mean uh, to be a flourishing human being? Well, you can't answer that question until you answer the question of what does it mean to be a human being? Right. And, and so that question has to be answered. And if you're going to, in some coherent way, answer the question of what it means to be a human being and why, why you should uh, strive for certain uh, qualities. And so, uh, 
Yeah, and so so reading him, I realized that, and, and we suffer for some other things too. So, so if we're going to, as you say, develop a framework that might be helpful to people, we live in a time that's very skeptical mm-hmm. of anything having to do with uh, behavioral admonitions. You know, who are you to tell me how I should live my life? And we right. all need to be tolerant of everybody and everything everything's doing. And what this leads to is just sort of an agnosticism about you know, frameworks and, you know, you've got your framework and I've got my framework. You've got a wide variety. So, for example, at a place like um, Rotman, uh, as you know, we're going to have our Aristotle reading group. We we have at least uh, one Muslim, a Hindu, and a Buddhist, you know. So there are people of, of faith here. There are people who are secular here. You think, well, what is something that's going to be helpful to a wide variety of people. And my answer is Aristotle. You know, he is he is consistent with people of faith, which is great. So if you have a faith tradition, great. He's not going to fly in the face of that. But also if you're secular and don't and haven't thought about these things very much, then great. He's, he's going to provide a framework that gives sort of a very coherent and I think very convincing analysis of why you know certain behaviors lead to happiness versus others yeah absolutely i think that's especially important for the secular students who don't have this framework of or this moral framework that is provided oftentimes with religion right and so to have this very structured or this framework and that's been thought about for so long and digested and, and right. passed over the generations. It's lasted this long because right. it's valuable. So <laughs> no, there's right. a reason exactly. for that. Exactly. Uh, so what do you think some of the concrete implications of this of this view and this framework are? Well, you know, so Aristotle, it, you know, so you sort of have to answer these questions that I mentioned before you get to the concrete. So Aristotle is going to notice that, you know, as far as we know, Humans are the only animals, so he he's very clear humans are animals, uh, but what distinguishes human animals from other types of animals and uh, and he's going to you know say that uh, well, we have this ability of abstract conceptualization uh, as far as we know we're the only animals around that have that capacity, and we have free will right so so when you combine those two things and say, well. Therefore, because this is what distinguishes us as beings, as a particular kind of being, then it must be that to fully flourish, you know, those aspects of human nature must be nourished and and emphasized. And so, uh, so to make it concrete, you follow the line of logic of, well, if I'm trying to use free will to do what's good for me, um, that must have something to do with leading a life that is thoughtful, discerning, um, making good choices, you know. Uh, I mean, it's sort of the type of thing that we that we teach here in business decisions, but really sort of thinking very carefully about that in your own life, right? Yeah. So, so that's the, that's sort of the, I would say that's the semi-concrete. Um, as you think more and more carefully about it, then the traditional virtues begin to surface. So being courageous, being uh, temperate, um, uh, being prudent, you know, what, you know, you begin to think about, well, what does it mean to be thoughtful? What does it mean to make thoughtful decisions in a particular set of circumstances? 
and it's about finding the right balance, uh, bet- typically between extremes. You know, you can think of well, courage is a, is a balance between cowardice and running away and being fearful versus being completely rash and paying no attention to right. uh, you know to the to the fact that there's a cliff uh, you know <laughs> on the other side, and so and so. It requires you to be thoughtful and have presence of mind. And so that's that's the thing. And so if you begin to put yourself, um, lead a life in which you are in the habit of being thoughtful, attentive, and making uh, good choices, then Aristotle would say, "Well, good. That's that's how you uh, you know that's how you you know you're well on the path to being a, a full fledged human being." Now, I would add one thing to that, which is, um, which is, which is uh, love in the Aristotelian sense. So I, I think I, I often mention this to my classes, is that the Greeks have many words for love, right? Eros, philios, uh, agape, and so um, we only have one, you know, love. It does, it does a lot of heavy lifting, right? <laughs> um, but... The meaning uh, in Aristotle, uh, you know, the, the, the instance that's interesting and of and of uh, rel- and is relevant for this discussion is that is the kind of love that means willing the good of the other for the sake of the other. Now, if you unpack that, you're saying, well, this is an act of free will. It's an act of willing for another, which recognizes our social nature as human beings. It may be a sacrificial act because I'm not, it's for the good of the other. It means I'm not expecting something in return. I'm doing something for you. And it's an act of discernment because it requires me to actually think about what's good for you. Um, So what's good for you may be, you know, helping you get something that you want, uh, some pleasurable thing or some job outcome. You know, sure, that may be it. Or it may be that some act of justice is actually what's good for you at this moment, right? And that may not be comfortable for me, right? But it it really means that I'm about trying to do something of service to you for your sake, not because I'm getting something out of it. So why is that relevant? Well, because what I just said was, was that if we're animals who have the ability to discern and have free will, then this is sort of the ultimate act of that. So in a way, this sort of love, which is, a, which is, let's be very clear, it's an act of the will. It's a choice. It doesn't mean that I have to feel warm and fuzzy about you or give you a hug or we're going to sing Kumbaya. I may not like you very much, right? But it means that I'm still going to choose through my rational self to do something good for you. That's a choice. Just make that choice. And so ultimately, that's the you know that's sort of where we are most human, where we're really flourishing the most, and I think that's a great message for managers. You know, I think that's a great message for managers. Truly, I think it's something we should all strive to do, especially in the position that we have, the fortunate position where we're going to be in in management. And, Absolutely, and I think to have this as a basis and to understand the implications of everything that we do and to be more thoughtful about the decisions that we're going to make. Right, it's really important. I mean, think about all the people that you're going to affect. You know, it's very easy to think about. Well, you know, you'll also you'll often get this. I'm sure you can attest. You know, well, when, once I become you know CEO of Microsoft or whatever the next thing is, and I'm rich, and you know, and then I'll start you know really helping mankind. But the thing is, from this point on, you've got students that you're working with, 
professors that you interact with. You're going to go into management. You'll have employees that work for you whose careers and lives you affect in a very big way. You'll have bosses whose careers and lives you will affect in a very big way. You'll have customers and stakeholders, and all of those people are in your orbit. These are people that you can, just like you and I, we're sitting across the table looking into each other's eyes. I can actually have an impact on you right now, you know, and and I think that that this uh, Aristotelian love... and, and I'm, I'm using that a little bit loosely because this isn't quite Aristotle, so I want to be a little bit careful. But, but this form of self-giving love is something that you can be practicing right now, every day, and be getting into the habit of it. And then, yeah, you know, once you're CEO and powerful and have millions or whatever and start a foundation, great, you know, keep going. But you can, you can be doing this right now. Yeah, and I think one of the things uh, you mentioned there is practice and building it into a habit. And that is one of the most important things, I think. So on in that vein, how can we as individuals flourish as human beings, do you think? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, so one observation about that is that um, it is absolutely the case that the abstract idea of flourishing as a human being through virtue and this sort of thoughtful love, charity, this charitable love, we can all get our minds around that and we can all be in favor of it, right? And we can all sort of choose in any given situation, know, for example, that I should, um, you know, be doing something for you. I know that. I accept that. But where we start going wrong is in the details of the thing. So now all of a sudden when I'm in a concrete situation, uh, with some very specific circumstances, that's where our choices, uh, that, that's where we can kind of go wrong, right? It's, it, it's, it's one thing to kind of think in general theoretical terms. It's another thing to be faced with a real concrete situation at this moment. And so what Aristotle says is that you need to build uh, a stable disposition toward this sort of act, these sort of virtuous acts. So let's take courage, for example. You know, you may need to take an unpopular position in your uh, company, um, and you know, to be a cheerleader for a project that is an unpopular project or maybe a very risky project. Or maybe you need to be a cheerleader for an employee of yours who's getting wrongly... Um, you know, blame for something right. that maybe is a fall fall person for something, and you need to you need to take a courageous act. It's going to be it may be costly to you, right? Um, Aristotle says that look, in order to sort of get the practical knowledge on how to do this and to act rightly and correctly in a, in the particulars, you need to build up a habit of this behavior. So it's in the little things. I really believe that we need an attentiveness every day. I think this requires some practice uh, of of going through the day and in moments throughout the day thinking, well, you know, how am I doing? Uh, am, I, am I acting bravely, temperately, and so forth? Let me just review, maybe even for five minutes at a time, but to be getting into the habit because it's the attentiveness and then the reprodu- reproducing, you know, the experience of being, well, here was a small situation. Did I, did I choose properly? Was this the right choice? The small things build up into big things, I think. And so I think that's what Aristotle talks about when he talks about character. He says, look, this is a stable disposition that you have both to desire to do well, not just to do well, but to actually want to do well, 
and then when the particulars come to actually correctly make these choices. And so I think it's a long, long process that requires discipline and attentiveness. You know, and I don't think there's any other way around it. Excellent. And you did mention that small things build up over time and they can turn into bigger things and build that positive character. But I think also those small things can lead to a slippery slope as well in the other direction. Great point. And so Absolutely. what kind of activities should we look out for and yeah. avoid? In that no, that's situation? a great point. So so that, you know, and, and again, that's very clear in Aristotle, right? So so the good news is, is, is that you can have a good character, a stable disposition toward the good, whereby what he means by the good is flourishing as a human being, doing those acts that help you be the most you can be as a human being. But by the same token, you can, as you just pointed out, you can be, you can have a bad character, right? Right, and um, and this is where, you know, gosh, this is, you know, how do you answer this in, in a few sentences? I mean, we're living in a in a society that unfortunately is is emphasizing a lot of things that are inhuman, that are, and by what I mean by that is that there is so much being directed at all of us uh, by the marketers, and you know, and I'm in a business school, so I'm all in favor of more is preferred <laughs> to less, right? But, but the idea that your happiness hinges on the pleasure that you have at any given moment, and that's the slippery slope, right? It's the belief that, well, you know, I, I don't have enough uh, Xbox time, and so if I just work, or I don't have enough. You know, whatever, insert whatever, you know, the material thing is, material thing, thing or, uh, you know, or, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, short-term gratification. Any kind of short-term yeah. gratification. And, and everything around us is screaming at us that that's where we're going to find our happiness. And so temperance, I think, is actually quite important. And... And those are the small things, right? How, how am I spending my time? You know, what did I do today? Did I did I sit down and do my work, or did I spend you know two hours surfing the internet and doing other things? It's a mundane, you know, common complaint today. Everybody talks about it, but but that's kind of an indication of how bad it is, right? That is the problem, and so somehow you've got to bootstrap yourself up to, you know, in the little ways of how you're spending your time. Right now, in the next hour, and that that may require some forethought. You may need to sit down and say, "Well, I'm going to turn off my phone, sit at my desk. This is a golden hour for me. I am just going to focus on my work for this hour, and then I'll go back to it. things like that, that that make this attentiveness happen. I think are are the way. Yeah, being deliberate about the way you spend deliberate, your time, as yeah. opposed to just reacting to whatever happens in the moment. Yeah, because that's the way that you are carried off into. Distraction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Living with purpose is really important in that. So what does the future look like for human flourishing and virtue in this community and communities further beyond? Maybe first time with within this community. And how might this idea be developed a little bit further? Yeah, so that's a great question. So what I've really been pleased with is that there's been a huge positive reaction to some of these ideas. So um, the school has asked me now to teach the business ethics class. Um, and so I'm... You know, so these are ideas that everyone will get exposed to, at least in a, I won't say superficial manner. They'll, they'll be exposed, uh, <laughs> not not five years of, of uh, thinking about it, but, but a good, solid exposure. So the school, I think, is very interested in promoting this. I think everybody is aware that ethics matters, um, but it requires 
you know, for for those of us, I, I think it requires a sort of insight that I had and that some of my students have had, like yourself, that, that well, I don't just want to hear your rules or somebody else's rules. Like, I want to understand why is this behavior implied by me fulfilling my potential as a human being? I think that's that's really important. And so the school has been very supportive. We're we're bringing this into the into the curriculum. Um, I'm you know talking to folks at uh, at the Desatel Center and some other places about uh, programs that may complement. Uh, the, the the experience of the students here that are interested in sort of pursuing these ideas that are sold on the idea of of thinking carefully about in a, you know sort of a deliberate way as you said that's a great a great way of, of saying it that you know we're going to deliberately think of how my vocation is the thing that will help me flourish it isn't a question between work life you know there's my life which is all the stuff I love and then my work which is what supports the stuff I love but no your work is part of that into you know integrating that into your life so that's sort of the here but I also think that you're seeing uh, interest worldwide in, you know, lots of people complaining about ethics problems and financial collapses and, you know, uh, people uh, buying their kids into Stanford, uh, you know, and all of this kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure there's nothing like that that's happened here. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but, but so what's the solution? And I think the solution is, is that you equip people with the good reasons that, that there is a good way to lead your life that that is actually good for you, and to get those seeds out there, and uh, and hope that they take hold and and grow. And again, I'm part of what brought me to this place, and part of the reason that I'm willing to do this at, at Rotman and teach these these ethics classes and spend a lot of time, you know, sort of focused on these things, is that there is, you know, your generation is a generation of people that seem to care. And so it seems to be a generation that is open to uh, the idea that, that, you know, that if you show me a good way of thinking about it, that'll be helpful and off I go. And, I, and therefore, this isn't just sort of uh, shouting into the wind. It's, it's, I think, planting some seeds that could go somewhere. Yeah. And moreover on that, what impact do you hope to have on our community as you do see that the people are receptive to it? So how, how does this move forward in our community? And well, so I've, I've mentioned a few of those things. I mean, again, yeah. I, to me, uh, what, do I, what impact do I hope to have? I hope to be, uh, you know, loving in the agape way. I mean, I hope that, I, that I'm becoming, uh, you know, realizing some of my potential and flourishing as a human being by helping other people do the same. And so, and I, th- and I believe that, right? So I think that the impact that I hope to have, at least immediately, is on students who uh, begin to get off this crazy treadmill, you know, they're running 90 million miles an hour on that isn't really leading anywhere, and um, at least long term, and help them be more deliberate and realize the things that are going to pay off and are going to be, you know, result in deep satisfaction uh, in, in their lives. And, um, you know, and then if that happens to spread, great. Uh, that would yeah. be terrific. But the first step is just, you know, if I can impact five people a year, I'm happy with that. If it's more, all the better. But uh, that's that's my goal. That's great. 
And any closing words? Uh, well, my closing words are: uh, think carefully about uh, about your careers. You know, don't 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 uh, settle for don't settle for less than you know full realization of your full potential as a human being, of really flourishing. You know, your your job here is not just about status or increasing your salary by a certain amount. You know, you're here to the students that are listening to this, you're here to change your lives and to change your lives in a way that leads to deep satisfaction and happiness. And you should just not settle for less than that, right? And you you need to understand there is more. And whether it's Aristotle or someone else, you know, these are, these are things that are as worthy of your attention as, you know, uh, learning the capital asset pricing model or, you know, Porter's Five Forces or whatever, right? So yeah. it's really an important point in your lives to be thinking about these things. I agree, and thank you for sharing your views with us here today. Well, thank you. I think this is going to be really important and impacts a lot of people um, <laughs> thank you. on a, on a on a really important scale starting small well, hopefully it will grow so um, to use some of your words thank you for listening and go forth and be virtuous great thanks Joe <laughs> thanks fantastic that's it for today but make sure to check back regularly for the latest installment of the Rotman Podcast powered by the Entertainment and Media Association this is Joe and this is Rini signing off thank you for listening